Introducing the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. With 25 million copies in print, learn how the Don't Sweat wisdom can help you achieve greater mental health and better communicate with your family, friends, and coworkers from a beloved teacher. Rediscover your passion, joy, and self-compassion to awaken your most vibrant life. Listen in now for the Meditation and Mindfulness series featuring Christine's interviews with experts who will help you learn the best tips and advice to make meditation a routine and habit you can't live without. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. This is Christine Carlson. Let's begin by taking our golden pause. Go ahead and sit comfortably with your legs uncrossed. And if you're leaning back against something, it's all right to sit with your legs crossed. And if you're driving, just pay attention to the road and just use this as a breathing exercise to get really present in your body. So let's go ahead by taking a few deep breaths and breathe in through your nose. And as you do so, allow your chest and your belly to expand taking in the maximum amount of oxygen. And as you exhale, just feel your body relax. Allow your hands to be heavy on your lap and your head to be upright, but your shoulders to relax. Just allow yourself to relax. And as you breathe in this time, breathe in pure golden sunlight. Golden sunlight all the way to the tips of your fingers and toes all the way through your whole body, pure golden sunlight. And as you let go, relax deeper. This time as you breathe in, breathe in love. Feel love in your heart, in your center, in your core. Feel completely loved, breathing in pure love. And as you let go, Let go of any fear you feel, any tension. Just let it go. This time as you breathe in, place your hand on your heart, activating your heart, paying attention to your heart, and just spend a moment thinking of something you feel incredibly grateful for. Could be a person, a place, a thing, something somebody recently said to you, and just hang out there in gratitude for a moment. And as you breathe in, go ahead and open your eyes. So as you know, this is um, the second interview in my meditation and mindfulness series. And um, I'm really excited to announce this guest to you. This is somebody I've just recently met. Um, I was kind of um, doing some research on who I wanted to invite to this series, and I came across Dustin DePerna in um, the Conscious 2 um, website, and I just was really enthralled by what he was um, doing, and I went and watched some of his beautiful videos on his website, and then I went, I was really lucky because he actually does a meditation class in Berkeley, and so I, I grabbed one of my closest friends, Alyssa, and we um, met up for dinner and then went to Dustin's meditation 
group and it was called Beyond Mindfulness. And so I, I just feel very blessed that I bumped into this man and his work. He's very deep and just very kind and has a really wonderful energy about him. And I know you're going to love um, listening to this call today. So I'm going to introduce Dustin Deperna to you. And read, I'm going to read his bio to you. So he's a visionary leader and entrepreneur and a recognized expert in world religions. American philosopher Ken Wilbur has publicly declared that Dustin's work, quote, fundamentally alters the way in which religion or spirituality can and should be taught and practiced. Dustin earned his bachelor's degree from Cornell University and a master of liberal arts degree in religion from Harvard University. He started teaching yoga, meditation, and breathwork in 2002. In 2005, Dustin was initiated into the practice of Mahamudra as a student of Dr. Daniel Brown. Shortly thereafter, Dustin began the practice of, I'm not even, Odoshan. I think it's Doshan. I'll have him correct me later. <laughs> I don't know that word, but under the guidance of the venerable Rehab Tuku Rinpoche. Dustin has committed his life to making timeless spiritual wisdom relevant and accessible for a rapidly changing global society. Is the author of three books, Streams of Wisdom, Evolution's Ally, and Earth is Eden, and is co-editor of The Coming Waves. He is founder of the publishing house Bright Alliance and co-founder of Synergy Forum, an avid lover of art, design, and nature. He lives in California with his wife, Amanda, and daughter, Jaya. So welcome, Dustin. So happy to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for showing up. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Yay. Well, so I um, have been really asking, I love to hear um, all of the teachers' different um, ideas and just definitions of what is mindfulness. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to describe your definition of mindfulness. Absolutely. So we all know that mindfulness is something that's very popular these days. We, we know that it's taught in boardrooms, it's taught in some classrooms, and we all know it has some benefit, but most of us don't know exactly what is meant by the term. So the way I define mindfulness is the consistent practice of returning your attention over and over again to some particular object. Um, that object can be a breath, it can be uh, whatever you're doing, eating, walking, talking. But the point is that you are paying full attention to whatever's happening in the present moment, and you're bringing your awareness back to that over and over again. And what we find happens when we start this practice, and particularly once this practice has become something that we do more and more in our lives, is that we find that there's naturally a calmer state in our mental activity. So our mental activity tends to calm. And there's also a sense of releasing some of the, the self-referential thinking. So the sense that you're always thinking about yourself, that tends to fade a bit as well. So there are tremendous benefits, both for yourself and for the people around you by the simple practice of mindfulness. Wow, okay. So in layman's terms, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to kindergarten. <laughs> right. uh, so, so in layman's terms, in kindergarten, it means that you're paying attention. Right. As a moment. Most of us are really distracted and are doing a hundred things when we're driving a car or when we're drinking water or eating. Our minds are all over the place. So mindfulness is basically paying attention to what you're doing. And so as a practice, like how do you recommend that somebody gets started in their mindfulness practice? 
Well, the easiest way, and I think the way that's been uh, tested and proven over uh, centuries, is to carve out a period of time of your day. So say 10 minutes, say in the morning or in the evening. Morning is sometimes best. And for 10 minutes, sit down and see if you can just pay attention to whatever's happening, whether you're thinking, whether you're breathing, whatever comes into your awareness, you simply pay attention. And uh, an even more effective way would be to pick one thing, like say your breath, and to pay attention to your breath. And every time you get distracted, you come back and you return to the present moment and whatever your breath is doing, you stay interested. But a simple practice like that, 10 minutes a day, sitting down, exploring what it's like to be mindful. That's something that anybody can do. Right. And so when, when we tell people about this, what are the benefits to having a mindfulness practice to their day-to-day lives? Because I like to bring, you know, I like to bring this into the practical. And I mean, I know what the benefits are, but I want to hear what you think they are and what you, what you know they are for um, the everyday person. Definitely. And uh, I'll try to answer uh, as simplistically as possible. And if I get too uh, advanced, just let me know. Okay. So um, in simple terms, uh, mindfulness practice um, creates a deeper sense of contentment in life. You feel more satisfied with everything that's happening throughout the day. Most of us have the experience that life is sort of a bummer. It's really, in a certain way, dissatisfied. But what we find when we start practicing mindfulness is that that dissatisfaction is actually a direct result from our mind being very unmindful. Um, And as we turn up our capacity to be mindful, the sense of a deeper happiness or deeper contentment, whatever's happening in our lives, drastically increases. Now, clearly that has a benefit for ourselves. We experience a deeper sense of contentment. But mindfulness isn't just about ourselves. It's about the ripple effects that it has for the people that were surrounded by. So I can say for sure that when I started meditating in my late teens, um, I was at that time still living at home with my family before going off to the university. And uh, my family saw a drastic shift in how I was relating to them. So um, the benefits aren't only for oneself, but for one's family, one's friends, whoever one's surrounded by, you just become a more pleasant being to be around. I know that when I started meditating, I also started meditating when I was a um, I was in my teens as well, and I know that um, what it really allowed me to do was to um, become super aware of my reactions to situations and to people and to things, and and even to some degree, you know, my emotional reactions too. Like it really, it really taught me how to step back and. And be able to watch things almost like the observer of what's happening as opposed to being completely, you know, reactive and immersed into every situation that's happening. Um, in our series, in the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series, really was, it really is about being mindful so much of and practicing life in such a mindful way. Um, even though we didn't term it that, like throughout, you know, throughout 20 years ago, we really didn't talk about it in that way, but that's really what it is about. And um, I know that that's what the benefit has been for me um, overall amongst many other benefits. But for the person who's just starting out, um, I just want to reassure you uh, the same thing that Dustin said, that it really isn't just about you and how, you know, it affects your life, but it is about how you then um, 
share yourself with the world, really. So I love that. Thank you, Dustin, for bringing that to us. Well, and just to build on that, there's a, a often a distinction made between reacting and responding. Yes. And, uh, you know, to react to something is to um, basically act out in a somewhat unconscious, unintentional way based on particular stimulus. But responding is quite different. Responding is precisely what you're speaking about. It's having that, that moment of pause where you actually make a choice about how you respond to particular stimulus. And it makes all the difference in the world. So I would say that your, your articulation is spot on, exactly what my experience has been. So tell me about, because your work is so deep and it's so much about your studies. So I'd love, I'd love to dive into um, a little bit of history about your own personal study of the ancient traditions and which traditions that, you know, you have found really valuable to modern day culture. And also, I'd love for you to define what spirituality is, because that gets all mixed up for people, um, the difference between spirituality and religion. So I'd love to hear your definition of that. Right. So maybe I'll start with spirituality. That'd be great. So sometimes the easiest way to make a distinction between spirituality and religion is that spirituality is that um, that we hold in our lives of ultimate concern. Where do we find the deepest meaning in our lives? And oftentimes there's an individual sort of personalized aspect to spirituality. It's, it's really, it's what you hold in your heart to be most valuable, most meaningful, whether that is something that we call God or some uh, ethical principles that you hold or some philosophy. There's something deeply personal about it. So we sometimes make a distinction between that, which is a form of personal spirituality, with something we call religion, which is more the institutionalization of particular belief systems about what matters most. Um, religions historically have been something that um, have always held a, uh, a core of spiritual practice, but we find more and more that Sometimes when things become institutionalized, some religions lose some of the practices that were once at their core. So if we want to make another distinction between spirituality and religion, spirituality has a lot more to do with practice, and religion has a bit more to do with belief. And um, I know that just given the context of this conversation so far, this idea of spiritual practice is really uh, at the heart of both this conversation, but it's also exactly what mindfulness is pointing to is that we have the power in our own lives to bring meaning into each moment and we can engage in practices that really transform our consciousness wow i love that i've never heard it quite described like that before um and that that really resonates with me thank you so much for that and then as far as uh my own trajectory my own history I'd be happy to, to share a little bit about that, if that would be useful. Yeah, that. I'd love to hear. Sure. So, um, as I mentioned, I was introduced to meditation in my late teens. I had been uh, very interested in the whole realm of, um, it actually started off with death and dying. My mother, uh, at a certain point in my trajectory, attempted uh, suicide, and it brought a, a whole wave of um, deep reflection in my life about meaning about life, about life after death. And I began to look to the world's spiritual and religious traditions to find out more about what, what wisdom is being held in our, in our world's traditions. And um, that led me on a, an amazing journey, um, beginning with um, the Eastern traditions, mostly looking at the Upanishads and some of the yogic traditions, Vedanta and some other traditions that come out of India. Um, I then uh, also began exploring Buddhism 
And as my life uh, unfolded, I really realized that there is this core of practice in um, all the world's spiritual traditions. Um, sometimes you have to look a little bit harder for it, but it led me on a journey where I came back in touch with um, some of the deep Christian practices in our own uh, you know, Western traditions, some Jewish practices, practices within Islam. Um, so I've really, throughout my life, been able to explore and practice some of these deeper dimensions that exist across the world's religious tradition. And that's precisely what led me to go to graduate school at Harvard to study religion, because I started to realize that there are transformative technologies at the heart of our world's religious traditions. And uh, one thing that's become clear is that the world today is desperately in need of technologies that can create happier beings who can contribute to the greater social good. And when I started to realize that there were practices across different traditions, I realized that there is a, um, a destiny and a, a vocation, a vocational role that I could play in helping to translate some of those practices and some of those teachings to make them relevant for people, regardless of their cultural or religious background. And uh, that's what I spend my time and my life doing, is helping to share those practices with others in ways that can transform their life. Years ago, um, my late husband, Richard, um, he had the same feeling about, you know, wanting to kind of look at the commonalities of all religions. And so he wrote an anthology with his partner, Benjamin Shield, called For the Love of God. And, and it really was about that. He interviewed all of the top leaders at the time um, and really was looking and ask them all like what the golden thread was, you know, and, and the cool thing was that it was so simple. It was like the golden thread was love. <laughs> it was like they all talked about love. They all, they all, that was all what it pointed to for them. But what you're saying is that there were actually, there's actually ancient technologies that we can use. And, and does that come through like the different practices? Exactly. So when I use technology, I don't mean sort of, you know, external computers. And, right, of course not. But yeah, technologies that are inner technologies for how to transform one's mind and one's heart. And I think your point about love is really, there's something to that. And I think it's important how we define love. And I think ultimately, um, one of the ways to define love, of course there are many, but one of the ways is that we begin to live from a level of awareness and intention that feels the world as if it's not separate from oneself, but there's a deep union and a loving connection to everyone and everything. And when that sense of blended wholeness begins to arise in one's own consciousness, uh, there's no choice but to care for the whole and to contribute to the whole as if it's one's own body and one's own heart. And I think that experience is in fact something that's at the core of these practices, is coming to know reality as a unified whole and what arises from that are actions based in love. Yeah, you know, I I would hear that when I was younger, and I really I wouldn't really understand what it meant. And um, when I lost Richard, you know, and I really went into some deep grief, I remember being able to really feel humanity in a whole different way through my suffering than I had ever understood prior, you know, that... I, I could hear something like that and it would just not mean anything to me. I would be like, what do you mean be one with everything? You know, <laughs> I just wasn't, I didn't feel it. And then it was so um, powerful because um, that's really the first time I ever felt truly one with, with nature and just, and everything 
was after Richard died and I found myself in true suffering. Then I could really feel, it's almost like I could just feel the heartbeat and the suffering of humanity um, in that. And it, and it was super powerful for me. It was one of the things that I feel like I really woke up to and what also just increased my level of compassion and you know, my depth of understanding for the suffering of other people too. Can you talk a little bit about that, like what you've seen? And because, you know, one of the things I like to do is I like to offer people a lot of hope. A lot mm. of people that will be listening, they have gone through loss because, you know, that's a lot of my tribe has come because they want to experience and what it means to live hopeful that there's life after loss, you know, and um, and I do think that suffering really does increase. It has the ability to increase our mindfulness um, in so many different aspects as well. And I'd love to hear what you have to say about that, Dustin. Sure. Well, it's everything you're saying is so spot on. And you know, I, when you speak, I can feel that it comes from experience and not from some sort of theory or some idea. And it's the most effective way to speak is to speak from that place that I feel you speaking from. So thank you. And I'm sure that your audience benefits tremendously from it. Um, in my own experience, um, suffering, um, it can become a portal. It can become a portal to a sea of interconnectedness because in our own suffering, we begin to realize that if we make it personal, and of course aspects of suffering are personal and they'll remain personal, but if we make it only personal, then we tend to feel a sense of, um, through suffering, we feel isolation. But there's a possibility to um, allow suffering to open your heart. Sometimes it's called the cracking of the heart, or the breaking open of the heart. And then suffering allows the heart to break open. There's a sense of recognizing that your own suffering is something that's shared by many, many others. Even in the same way, loss of a loved one, for example, loss of a parent loss of a child, loss of a friend. These types of loss are actually experiences that are part of what it means to be a human being and alive on our planet. And if we can use that suffering as a portal to come into contact with others who are also experiencing something similar, certainly not the same because every situation is unique, but something similar, it allows us to feel a deeper sense of connection to the people around us and to the other people who are experiencing it. And so it's just as words of hope, if you take the suffering without trying to deny it or trying to run away from it, but if you actually allow yourself to feel it, there is a pathway that can break your heart open and can allow you to be in contact with an interconnected sea of humanity who's also experiencing that. And that feeling then transforms the suffering into connection and into hope and into possibility. And um, it's a pathway that's open to anyone. Yeah, that's so powerful. You basically just described my whole journey. I mean, I, I wrote a book called Heartbroken Open, a memoir through loss to self-discovery. And that was exactly what I felt in in my experience was like, I, I remember I just wrote in my journal one day, oh my God, I've been heartbroken open. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've been like, I've been completely shattered, but there was such amazing bliss in, in that feeling of, you know, having that happen and, and opening me to such a degree, I, I became so much more open to the whole rest of life and so much more able to experience. And I always say, you know, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't, I mean, I'm sure Richard, his soul path had his own reasons for departing, but it, it is painful and 
um, you know, as it was, it was also a great gift. It was an amazing gift. And I, you know, of course, didn't feel that way initially, but it was um, very clear to me as the years have gone by that it, it was a true gift. And it's something that I never want anybody to miss because I always figure, well, my God, if we have to suffer like that, there has to be something really powerful in our soul journey for the suffering. You know, there has to be. And and somehow I, I was really blessed with the wisdom, the internal wisdom to to grasp that um, without having any experience with it. So I, I it's something I'm really I'm so happy that you've spoken to today. Um, Christine, was there was there a point in time in your own process that something happened or you made a choice to feel more fully or was there a transition that allowed you to be a heartbroken open rather than just a heartbroken yeah you know i um i was so blessed by having some amazing people around me and you know and also blessed by having um a lifetime at that point of you know personal study that was probably more theory than anything else but a lot of it was, you know, life practice, and um, and I, I think I just knew that I had to um, allow this grief really to allow allow the depth of my grief. I mean, I, I met Richard when I was eighteen years old, and we were inseparable and in love our entire lives together. So when I lost him, I not only lost my partner in life, but I lost my very best friend and my, you know, the person that. I was closest to and and that I felt the most comfortable with. So I also um, had the deep belief that there weren't any accidents, that that this was something that was somehow meant to be, and, and I didn't like it. I wasn't happy about it. I was pissed about it too, but I just knew that that something had to come of it. And I just remember a lot of times I'd lay on my floor and I'd just allow the grief to come and the feeling, you know, I, I would do whatever it took to release it from my body. I would scream and I would shout and I would shake and I would sometimes laugh. And, and, and it was in those moments that as I allowed myself to open to the feelings and, and release them really about the release more than anything, I realized that it wasn't just a, it, it, as big as Richard's death was. I realized I was opening a whole lifetime of wounds and and feelings that I had never expressed, you know, and so it was just a really big. It was like a really big opening for me. I really kind of think that's how it happened, you know. I, um, I think it was really about allowing, and then and then I was super aware. I was just really aware of what was happening. I could feel and see and. Um, sense, you know, everything that was going on in my body. And, and so that really helped me observe, you know, and I, I think it, it's just some, some calling I had probably was to, you know, to, to speak to people on a different level and, and to be able to share this part of what suffering can be, that it's not all, you know, it, it isn't all grief and all dark it's it's like there's a pathway through the dark that explodes in the most amazing light really and yeah so i'm i'm always really um just happy to talk about that too because you know like i said i think like you feel that the world is is really ready um to 
know these things and to experience these things and choose a different way. Like we don't have to choose just to be broken, but it, it does kind of come down to being that one or one of two choices. Like you are either going to be broken or you're going to be heartbroken open. <laughs> That's right. And, and it's um, at a certain level, it's, it's a choice as to how much we're willing to feel and how much we're willing to then release exactly as you said. Um, that heartbroken open experience from my my experience and perspective can't occur unless you allow yourself, you have the bravery and the courage to feel fully and you feel through it into the connection to everyone. Yeah, and I think that was the profound um, understanding that really hit me was, and I remember the day when I felt every mother who had lost their child and every, you know, mother that had a son in Afghanistan and I felt all of the widows that, you know, had lost their spouses. And I just remember the day and, and feeling, you know, that just deep sense of connection. And, and that was profound. That was a very profound change for me. Um, I want to share your meditation with our listeners because it's so yummy. And I would love it if you would um, close off our call today as quick as this has been. I don't want to keep you much longer, um, but I'd love for you to share just whatever comes to your heart to be um, a closing meditation for our listeners, Dustin. Great. And how long would you need to do that? Just a couple minutes? Yeah, just a couple minutes would be great. Sure. Okay. Well, if you're uh, in a place where you can close your eyes, please do that. If you're driving, just listen. And allow yourself to sit up straight. Allow your feet to be flat on the ground. And just bring a soft smile to your lips. Softening the muscles of your face. Relaxing the jaw. And then bring a sense of majesty into your posture. You're feeling yourself sit like a king or a queen. And then feeling the center of your chest right around the space of your subtle heart. It's as if your heart has begun to glow like a sun. And allow the sun to grow brighter and brighter at the center of your chest. As if it's extending rays of loving light all throughout your physical body. So rays of warmth and light into the belly, to the arms, down into the hips and legs, up towards the face and the head. And feeling that sun glowing so that the entire body begins to radiate with loving light. And just allowing yourself to breathe into that radiance. Glowing like a sun. And then just allowing the rays of your own light to radiate outward. It's as if you have one ray of light for every being on the planet. Sending rays of loving light to the hearts of every being. Just wishing them well. May they be happy, 
May they be free. May they know that they're loved. And then just taking a deep inhalation into your belly and exhaling out. Opening your eyes if they're closed. And then just giving thanks for this moment. Mm, thank you. So Thanks. Dustin, what's on your calendar? What what are you where if our audience wants to find Great. out more about you, where will they look and what will they find? Excellent. So uh DustinDiperna.com, D-U-S-T-I-N-D-I-P-E-R-N-A.com. Um I have events and things that I'm doing listed there on the website, also some videos and some articles I've written, um, also links to the books that I've written. Uh, I'll be in Washington, D.C. in October, October 6th, 7th, and 8th. I'll be in New York City, October 29th and 30th. And then I'm here in the Bay in San Francisco. I teach every month in Berkeley. And uh, you can find those dates on our website. Thank you very much, Christine. Oh, Dustin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. And I know um, our listeners really, really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Meditation and Mindfulness series on the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with Christine Carlson. Chris has a free gift to offer you, the Guide to the Golden Pause. Just as every podcast begins, you can experience your own golden pause every day. This simple guide can be found at christinecarlson.com forward slash golden pause guide. Download it now and make the golden pause a routine part of your busy schedule.